Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Raj, for agreeing to be on my my little podcast. Um, I know that you're super busy um, in charge of your multinational empire. So um, thank you for taking the time to join me. Um, I don't know if you'd like to maybe just tell us a little about yourself um, and uh, what it is that you do, and then we can dive into the, the big questions from there. Sounds great, Megan. Firstly, thank you for having me on. Good to be here. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Raj. I'm the founder of Goodman Lantern. But I'm also a father and a husband. Um, I, I actually love being a family man, but I also really enjoy to be have another family, which is which Goodman Lantern for me, which is my company. Uh, it's my third company. I started first after I finished my research at, at uh, University of Sussex in AI. And uh, my first company was a social media software company. Then I started an events company, which I took from zero to acquisition. I helped another company in Spain to grow from seven and a half million to 45 million revenue. But I think like if I summarize all my experiences, I'm a geek who loves marketing. It's a professional summary. Outside work, I'm somebody who's just found the, the new passion for outdoors exercising. So I just got really into you know, paddle, which is like tennis and squash, uh, all put into one into one offering. And I really just enjoy mixing my life and my work, optimizing for happiness. I'm a big proponent of that. And a big part of that for me is sort of allowing not only myself, but my uh, teams as well to enjoy work-life balance, a bit of flexibility. It's a really important part for me in my life. I think that's something which keeps me excited. And also probably Megan, you know this because we have met before and you know what this has been working together for, for some time now. But also, I really love to think about being inclusive and giving people the opportunity across the world. It's a big passion of mine and it stemmed from a lot of experiences, both good and bad. Yeah. Um, now, sorry, I know that we've kind of already got the guidelines, and uh, but you've said something that I want to just kind of dig into. Uh, you've said that you kind of like combining your work and kind of personal. Um, you're the first person that I've ever heard say that because most people, you know, work-life balance, it's kind of work and then you've got this divide and then you've got the, the life stuff on the other side. So um, when you're saying, uh, you know, you, you blur that line, um, could you just explain that? Because, uh, yeah, uh, with all the stuff on work-life balance, it's kind of like close the door at five, Go and have your life or whatever so yeah how do you combine and how do you keep that balance you know that work doesn't kind of intrude too much on family time yeah it's a, it's a great it's a great question i think the one thing i learned over the years is that work is not different from life in fact you know what we are in real life we bring a part of that to work and what we are at work bring of that bit of that to life the idea is to have a healthy balance between the two. And to do, actually do that, we need to know our boundaries in our head. Importantly for me, it is about optimizing for happiness. So I don't, I don't sometimes it's work which makes me happy. Sometimes it is the family time or time with friends and family makes me happy. So for me, it's the optimization for happiness. And I mixed them together because sometimes at some points in my life, it's the work that makes me more happier than family and friends and sometimes vice versa. But I, I maintain a sort of a balance because for example, weekends, I do not work. How what may, I will not work. And I do a lot of volunteering. I volunteer for an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And even for them, I say, guys, Weekdays, I'm happy to help in the mornings, but weekends, I do not work. It's time for family. And that's my divide. And similarly, I like to go out for a date night with my wife uh, once once or twice every week or at least once every fortnight. And that's set in stone. You know, I will, that's what I put in, in my calendar and that's going to stay there. And that's something which come work, come no work, doesn't matter. That's there. And that's how I'm, I maintain my happiness as it were 
Yeah, yeah. I'm interested because you've used the words don't. And I was listening to a podcast the other day that says when we set these boundaries for ourselves, uh, the language we use is really important. Because if you say some to somebody, I can't, that begs the question, why not? And then uh, it kind of gives them an in to, you know, uh, you end up saying yes to something you didn't really uh, want to say yes to. Whereas if you say, I don't, that's kind of like a hard line. Like you don't cross this. Um, so uh, interesting uh, use of terminology there. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, I think, as I mentioned, uh, you know, um, as you, as you know, I spent a lot, I lived in the UK for almost 25 years. I now maintain homes in, in London and Bangkok. And, you know, during the pandemic, I told my wife, listen, if we had the opportunity to live in one city, what would it be? And she said, well, well, let's put it down on a piece of paper and let's show it at the same time. So we just kind of wrote it down, both flip the card and we both said Bangkok. Oh, okay, well, that's challenging. It's the other side of the world, really, for us. So how do we do that? So we, we you know, we I built this kind of lifestyle to bring that element of the work-life balance but also where we want to stay, to be healthy, to get vitamin D from the sun, then capsules, uh, to have, you know, we like spicy food, like some spicy food from the streets of, of Bangkok. I mean, that for us makes us happy. And life is so short that if we don't do it today, time passes by so quickly. Yeah. So we said to ourselves, we will achieve that. And um, I then worked for almost a year and a half every day to figure out how that's possible. And I said to myself, if I want to achieve this for myself, why can't it happen for the entire company? Why can't everybody in the company achieve that same flexibility? And so maybe we'll touch on this later on, but it's about yeah. flexibility. Um, yeah. And it's for everybody. I think that's one thing that's missing in most companies is like, well, you can work if you want to, but you have to be based in this one city, one office space. And I'm like, no. Flexibility brings happiness, and happiness brings more productivity. Yeah. Now, um, you know, let's let's dive into the company. So you've obviously built this is now your third business. Uh, it's really successful. Um, you've built it using the the services of both permanent and uh, employees and freelancers. Um, and you know, your your business model is really progressive, especially, I mean, if you look at the corporate world, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the, of the world, but in South Africa, at least, um, it's kind of, like you say, we have a centralized office, everyone has to come in. And um, yes, I believe that there is that kind of, you know, face-to-face -face value. Um, you, you, you build better relationships face-to-face. -face. So I'm all for like a kind of a hybrid model maybe, but you've built this company and it's kind of the model of the future. It's completely remote. So um, as with anything, pros and cons. Um, so let's delve into the pros because uh, there's, there's a lot of them and they're obviously working in a very successful manner for you. So, um, you know, reduced overhead expenses, et cetera. Tell us about the pros of your business model. Yeah, I was just look. I was talking to the team, the management team, the other day, and we we're talking about you know our business, and we realized that we have customers on five continents and team on four. Um, imagine an organization today can achieve that. Forty years back, to achieve something similar, some this kind of scale, you'll have to be a company with like ten thousand employees minimum potentially I don't, yeah. I don't know um i think the future for me is agile the future for me is the ability to be productive in the environment we feel works best for us and i think if you look at what's happening outside our work and life you look at technology for example there is a drive to make us more flexible and more independent. If you look at, for example, you know, we have the Oculus by Meta or Facebook, then Apple says they're gonna release their version of it. And they're talking a lot about, if you look at their ads and the message they're kind of giving, they're saying like, it allows you to work uh, more flexibly. It allows you to be independent. You know, I see not so 
sort of far from today that we are going to come to a different world. So let me kind of portray the world we were living in. Yeah. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, there used to be an era when us human beings lived on farms in small towns and villages, and we were working on our our sort of times of work, for example, we had a routine, but we chose to live in sort of our sort of our way of working, our work work time balance, for example. Uh, then came the industrial revolution, you know, in for example, in the in, in England, for example, they were asked to there were these workshops being created. You know, horrible um, sort of scenario for people working in these workshops. Uh, you know, coal mines, they were hazardous, they were bad for people's health. They would come into work from from X time in the morning till you know Y time in the evening. They were working these different hours and there was complete disruption to their life. In going forward, like apart from all this, the machines the machines they used to work with were not safe for them. Some of them, you know, they lost their limbs, for example. You know, like that was part of the, the working in these workshops. So you know, we worked from a we we worked from home and in our own environment to working in industries and factories. And now, like with history, it repeats itself. So we come again to the environment where we're going to be working again from home. We're going to start again start working from our our our, our environment, which we feel productive and we feel is 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 native to us. And with the help of technology, we will actually make our lives more productive, happier more together with their families and friends. You don't have to go away to a different country to work because, well, the jobs are there. The job will come to us. And in all of this is an opportunity to, for people who do not want to go outside their homes because they can't or they don't want to, or you know, unfortunately that's not what the option they have, for them to rise up. And when they rise up, we'll have a whole new workforce which will be happier, healthier and more productive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously the, the, the pros of uh, working with um, with people who are home-based, it gives you that, that flexibility and allows your company to adapt and all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of pros, but now I come from a corporate background and when I started freelancing, I just assumed that I was doing it in the same way that all people did freelancing. And it came as quite a shock to me. A client was telling me that um, freelancers are relatively unreliable. You know, they um, they don't they deliver a poor standard of work. Um, they uh, in in many cases just ghost their employers. You know, um, they get assigned a project and decide they don't want it and disappear into the ether. So there's there's a lot of risk, obviously, working with with freelancers. So um, Let's discuss some of these. Um, I don't know if, if you've experienced it and how you've managed to balance the risk of working in this context. Like how, how are you attracting like freelancers who are actually worth their salt, um, both from a, from a content creation as well as a, um, a professional perspective, I suppose, um, uh, and, and balancing, you know, the, like I say, the risk and the reward of this business model. Great question there, Megan. Um, I think for me, it's it comes down to what is in for the freelancers or the remote workers or the flexible team members. You know, what what is the opportunity for them and what is the opportunity for the employer? Um, for the freelancers, I think if the opportunity is, is a one-off, then it's not that exciting in my opinion. You know, so for me, the opportunity really is to build a recurring opportunity for team members, uh, the flexible or permanent, and to really upscale them. And you know, as of like, for example, this year, the beginning of this year, we have we have announced that we'll be doing a lot of training, especially on AI-related stuff to make our teams more productive. Stuff which will take a lot of time for, you know flexible workers to kind of embark on. So mm. building videos, building courses, offering um, sort of money to kind of buy courses, for example. So 
that is something which we provide to our team members. So effectively what we're doing really is to allow them to upskill themselves and be productive across not only the roles they're taking out with Kundalantin, but beyond that as well. And that's our promise to, to, to our flexible team members. The same applies to permanent team members as well. I think the idea really is for me is to add value at all times. If we don't add value, if we don't invest in them, then why will they invest in us? Why will they yeah. care about us? Um, so, you know, I think the 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 focus now is to do more uh, virtual in person meetups, for example, to allow them the opportunity, the water cooler, the water cooler moments moments we have in corporate life in a virtual environment. It's not easy. It's really hard. Um, once we achieve that fully. I think there's an opportunity to to really add a lot of value, even if there's no, like if you don't have some, some tasks for somebody a particular day, the value you create for them to upskill them, it'd be so much that they want to stay longer. Um, and I I don't think in, in my life, I see, like I've, I almost um, dislike short-termism or short-term thinking. I think yeah. the real opportunity in our life is to think long-term. So really think about what can we add value together. Because, you know, Rome wasn't built overnight. If you if you have big ambitions and big dreams, whether it is to, from a monetary perspective or to build a community, it takes a long time. So I, don't, I do not believe in a short-term mindset. I always often think about when I recruit somebody to think about the long-term, hopefully five, 10, 20 years, and then, you know, together we can together we can, can grow together and be someone substantial, both mm. in our in our in our minds, our souls, and hopefully the bank balance as well. Yeah, yeah, kind of that. Like um, it's uh, the sum is greater than the sum of its parts. What's that saying? Uh, you know, the result is is greater than the sum of its parts. So yeah, um, cool. Yeah. Um, Let's discuss content marketing in general, because this is obviously um, your your area of expertise now in terms of Goodman Lantern. Um, so do you want to just dive into what it is? Um, I think that it's fairly self-explanatory, but uh, in, my, uh, <laughs> in my experience, very self-explanatory things tend to uh, elude um, the layman. So let's let's dive into what it is, why businesses need it, um, and what constitutes good content. Um, so yeah, dazzle us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure, I'll, I'll, I'll try to. Uh, <laughs> so um, firstly, just to kind of mention the focus of Goodman Lantern is around the high-tech content, so content for high-tech companies. That's the focus we have, and it's partially because I did a lot of work in high-tech companies, so telecom, fintech. Uh, we do a lot of like defense work now. Uh, we do a work for companies in manufacturing and uh, IOTs, for example. Um, so having a niche is super important because we can't do everything in this world. I love to do everything, but we can't do everything. So it's <laughs> good to have a focus. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at our, our industry, our market, our prime market is B2B. And in B2B, the most asked or most requested offering tends to be white papers. So white paper is like a ebook style, usually 10 to 15 pages long with a short on the sort of medium short end, and there's like 50 to 100 pages long on the, on the long end, where we, we help companies understand a particular topic. It's written written by a company. So we write it for the company as a white label. So we don't have our, our name there. There's a customer's name there. And we really help them to explain a topic so that it's understood by anybody. When I say anybody, I mean, it doesn't have to be understood by the technical person who wrote the white paper or wrote the concept or is for them. It's also people who are not part of the technical team, like the chief financial officer, or maybe the, the the assistant who uh was going to help find the supplier for them so yeah. we really like to to make sure it's exactly accessible to anybody in the industry and the market why is that important well content written for experts 
by experts is great. But if content written by experts can be made so simple that can be consumed by anybody, the opportunity grows significantly. Because why is that important again? So, so most companies in B2B write, write, write papers to eventually sell more of their product or their service, right? That's the ambition for them. But unfortunately, um, for them to do that, they need to explain what they do. And if you look at what we call a sales funnel, and we'll explain that a little bit just so just the audience understand, is in a sales funnel, you have the top, the middle, the bottom. The top is where you put in information generically about the industry or the group of services to educate people about it. It tends to be broad. It might have people who will not buy from you, but you just, just sort of educate people. You dive deeper and then you educate them about your product and your service. So some people who came to the funnel, who heard about you through your website or through your white paper might drop off. But the ones who are keen to learn about you or your offering will stay there. And then you have bottom of the funnel, which is the last part of the funnel, where you get them to sign up to your offering. It could be a, a paid trial, could be a trial, could be a full, full service offering. The ambition of all of this is to basically get more customers through your doors. Most content marketing companies are help, helping clients with all three of them. Mm. It's to educate people on the industry, then offer your offering, and then conversion. Um, and white people do a great job on top of the funnel, educating people on your industries and then educating the people about your offering as well. But mm. we keep it generic initially to kind of really educate people on the oral offering so they learn about it. The more you teach people, the more you learn, uh, get people to learn stuff from you, the more they think about you as a leader in the service space. It's just a gift of learning that you're giving them. And they, in return, look up to you as, as a teacher and then they offer or they provide you the opportunity to work for them. And that's yeah. what it's all about. So ordinary marketing is sort of a, a, a gift of learning, which we, we offer to our customers. Okay, fantastic. I think what's uh, quite nice, in my opinion, about content as well is that it's uh, it's easy to share because if it's valuable and you're creating value for the the, the market that or the audience that you're creating it for, um, they will tend to share that content, whether it be a white paper or a video or uh, a blog post or whatever whatever the content is. It's it's easy to share. No one's necessarily going to share like a hard sell advert that they saw online, whereas they will uh, be more inclined to share something that they've actually found value in. Yeah, and this is also, also, also the viral nature of, of, of content, right? Content is viral by nature. It allows us to be really productive in maximizing our time and opportunity. Most of the times what happens is that um, content which is shared one time, which, which someone found valuable, will then share with other people in the industries or in in their with the, with the, with the team or their family or friends, and that helps to enhance the value. And so it can exponentially become more shareable, as you mentioned, Megan. But also, it can also be a great tool, which means the person can give to my friends and my family to improve their knowledge as well. Um, yeah. And so that, that's the two benefits of it. The third part of it also is that content in, it, in itself is a great way to get visibility. Um, so if there is a purpose you have, for example, this, it's from the point of view of SEO. So you want to like, you know, get yourself ranked better in search engines, for example, you can go more, get more visible to it through content. But also through thought leadership, you can showcase your ability as a, as a person or as a company. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, let's chat about AI and content marketing, because obviously ChatGPT came in uh, in November last year, it was released, and so that has kind of revolutionized. Um, and as a small business, I've found that I've lost a lot of small clients because they don't now need to pay me to create content, they can ask ChatGPT. But I've found that really large-scale clients are still opting for um, the, the that, if you can say, human element. And we'll, we'll maybe circle back to that human element shortly. But um, 
obviously, ChatGPT, not the only thing available. I mean, there's a slew of other um, AIs available uh, to generate content, everything from images to voice to uh, to podcasts to like literally anything you want to uh, create. Um, how is that going to affect kind of traditional uh, content uh, best practices? Um, and uh, I think the the, um, the the example that I've got kind of top of mind at the moment is SEO, because if you've got the ChatGPT plugin, you no longer need to uh, find an answer to your question by going into various different people's blogs. So um, because you've got that little box on the side that kind of gives you a breakdown and answers your question in, in the box. I mean, you can actually go straight into ChatGPT and ask the question and it'll pump out an answer as well. So um, how is that going to affect something like SEO where uh, traditionally people have created blogs to educate and answer specific questions to increase traffic to their websites? Um, how, how is the advent of AI in that capacity changing um, the landscape? Yeah, great question there, Megan. And because of my background in research in AI, I think probably I have a different thought on all of this and way I look at AI and AI and content. I spent a lot of time thinking about AI and content, obviously, and yeah. I've been playing with ChatGPT since March of last year. So I've probably spent yeah, a, lot, a lot of time looking at the, the progress. And I mean, what's interesting is that at some point ChatGPT was producing pretty horrible results to be honest with you and suddenly it just became so good by november yeah. of last year and then by 2022 that was good enough for us to then use it for business mm -hmm. um so that's the the, the way the ai progressed progressing like it just did a massive upgrades and like it just goes much much better um mm -hmm. I, I think here's the interesting analogy in my head now i'm going to go back to that industrial revolution time again mm -hmm. there used to be a time when we used our hands to knit stuff, to make garments, to actually produce, for example, some really impressive artifacts, for example. In comes machines, we can start to produce looms, lots of like garments, artifacts to machines. Factories come to place, make it make it all super fast. But if you look at it today, if you look at some of the the leading uh artifacts or bags uh or like you know things they're still handmade you know yeah i don't know of, of, of any luxury bag which says that's all factory made or machine made they always mm -hmm. say it's handmade um and the reality is and this going to go back to one of my one of my initial jobs after I finished university was at, at a parker pen factory as quality assurance engineer my, my job really was pick up a pen Look through it very carefully. If there any bumps and marks, put it in a different tray. And if, if it was all fine, then I put it in a different tray. <laughs> you wait. Um, it's, it's a, it, was a, it was like a bizarre job, but equally, you know, it's enticing to learn about it, right? It was just like a, a part-time job, which I had for, for a few days. But yeah. it, it taught me that even the best of machines can't actually understand and tell you exactly um, the quality of a product or offering. That it needs human intervention always to get that quality up. Um, ChatGPT, other large language models like ChatGPT, Anthropic, Claude, and there are so many others out there. And then, as you mentioned, there's some for voice, there's some for image generation. They all have their pros and cons. But when it comes to perfection, and you know, as human beings, we are we are a picky bunch of people. We like to kind of get the right offering out there. You want to make sure the offering is good enough. So there is an important role for human intervention uh, for high-quality offering. And with SEO, if we look at the way SEO is, is built, it's built around normal human mindset, which is high-quality offering is on the top, which is low-value, low-quality low offering is at the bottom. Hmm. So for high-quality offering, we still will require human intervention and a lot of it. Uh, I did some research recently, and I'll share some data for you, with you later, but like, you know, something like white paper, opinion pieces still require 60% plus human intervention, probably even more at the moment, might reduce 60% at a later date. So, you know, high quality content still requires human intervention. Yes, 
the ranking at the moment on, on Google, Citra, Google, Bing, etc., is favoring uh, AI generation. But there'll come a time when you know there'll be a, an update on the algorithm, and it will then change back to what was valued the most, which is highly well thought human created content. Yes, there's an opportunity to 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 help the research part using AI. Remember, AI is a tool for intelligence. It's not for uh, database. It's not to create good content. It's to help with intelligence. Mm -hmm. So if you use it in that way, if you use it for research, for example, that's awesome. But to create the entire content end to end, there'll come a time it will be penalized heavily. And that's when people then fall back to what works best, which is a combination of the two. Yeah. I think AI is kind of seen as a shiny new toy at the moment, and everyone's kind of uh, playing with the new toy, and they will eventually um, uh, realize the limitations. Um, but uh, yeah, it, I suppose, like you said, it's going to follow that kind of uh, roller coaster ups and down period before we get there, so that. Uh, you know, we have to understand what the stuff can do. Um, and I, I mean, I use ChatGPT fairly regularly and um, it's great to write something in a different way, but um, I'm actually writing a book at the moment um, based on uh, some of the stuff that I've discussed with guests in my podcast. And um, so I, I was doing a bit of an experiment uh, over the weekend. I, I'd written a paragraph I chucked it into ChatGPT. I said, please analyze this. Tell me what the style and the tone of it is. And um, <laughs> uh, then I, I inserted a piece of transcript and I said, please rewrite this transcript in the same, um, in the same style. And uh, what it gave me was the biggest load of crap. Like, you know, so there, there is um, still, uh, you know, it, it's not like you can just say create uh, a 1500 word uh, white paper the, the, at least to me you, you do still definitely need that human element and I think that people that are relying 100% on AI it's kind of like uh, you know to, to kind of give a, a metaphor or an analogy uh, it's kind of like people that uh, expect a baby monitor to raise their child. I mean, it's that's not what it's designed for. You know, um, it's there to help you, um, but it's not there to to replace you. Completely agree. In fact, uh, experiment I did recently was I took a brief from a client, and uh, we we you know our writers and editors wrote that content, and then we asked ChatGPT to write its version. We put both the, both the versions back into ChatGPT and asked it a score out of 100. It gave the human, human written content a much higher rank than its mm -hmm. own written content. And it's not only once that's happened, I've done it three, four times now. I've asked other people to do it, similar effects. The thing now is that's really hard to, to kind of pull or to gain the system because AI has got all that data, the previous data, uh, with it in his in his database and so it knows what's original what's what's like remixed what's human um what's a a biased uh human content piece what is artificial intelligence created content sometimes it can't distinguish but usually it can mm. but either way it gives a higher rank to something which is well written and well conceived than something which is done by ai and that's something because at the end of the day, if you think about the AI's bias, the AI's bias to learn more. It is no point for AI to learn the stuff it produces itself. So it will yeah. always give a better weightage to the human content than something which is done by another AI, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and there are quite a lot of tools now to uh, to check whether content is written by an AI. Uh, I mean, uh, OpenAI has a, a system that you can actually pop it in and check whether ChatGPT actually wrote that content. And um, I think savvy marketers and savvy customers, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, let me put it this way. Um, if you ask ChatGPT to write a LinkedIn post, for example, I've found that it, there's a very templated way that it creates that content. And um, it's going to start becoming more noticeable if you have got content in that particular template. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've got all these things to check at the moment, whether it's been written. But uh, because 
write me a LinkedIn post and it's in that template, humans are going to be able to start noticing that without um, the need to, to check it through a, an AI detector. You're going to be your own AI detector. Um, so, yeah, uh, and I suppose that brings it back round to um, just good content. Uh, the, the, the internet is flooded with... Um, with mediocre and horrendous content already. Um, and this is kind of just going to uh, add to that, I suppose. But uh, over time, um, people are going to be able to pick out the good content from the from the mediocre. Yeah, I, I think so. I think also at the end of the day, I mean, you, you're a content creator yourself, Megan, you understand that it's about the emotional connection we make with human beings. It's that emotional connection we make with the reader um, and the audience. And it's hard to to actually achieve that perfectly, the AI. It can mimic some of that, that, that effect, but it can't master it. Um, having a bias towards a particular way of thinking, having a original thought process still requires human, human intervention. And that's going to be the case for many, many years to come. Um, also, like you're talking about sort of the spotting of AI content, not only writing content, but if you look at Twitter, some of the artists can make out which content is, which images are created by Midjourney and what is original and is not made by Midjourney. So you can see there's, there's active people that can realize that. And if we can realize that as human beings, you know, people spend billions on their technology innovation like Google, Facebook can do that as well. Uh, and the tools, like as you mentioned, a OpenAI's own tool, this tool called GPT-0, which can identify any AI content, human content, for example. Yes, it's not foolproof yet, but it's getting, mm -hmm. getting there. And at the end of the day, that connection, that originality, the storytelling element, which is the most important part of content, cannot be replaced by remixing content from previous times into using an, an, an AI tool. AI is not built for that. AI is built for intelligence. You can, you can take different pieces of content and it'll help you summarize it, to, you know, remix it, to find intelligence within it, uh, identify patterns in it, for example. It's not designed really to just write content for you. Uh, yes, some of the elements can be used for that, but that's not the purpose of it. In fact, even yeah. OpenAI doesn't want you to do that. They don't want to be flooding the entire internet with like AI-generated content. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that kind of brings us back to what Goodman Lantern does is uh, content by humans for humans. Um, so obviously AI has entered the, the picture and a lot of companies are now trying to leverage it, et cetera, because it's more cost effective. I mean, it's uh, if you look at the speed at which uh, AI generates content, you know, it can write 1,500 words in like five seconds. Um, but uh, I suppose it's very much like anything uh, you get what you pay for. Um, so, you know, uh, <laughs> um, have you noticed um, in your client base a drop-off in uh, in demand because of AI tools or uh, has your kind of client base, that kind of B2B tech writing, um, they still understand the value of that human input in the content? I would say because we target the, the very best in the market, the ones who understand this, have not changed their mindset. They are still steady with their thought on highly well thought of human created content, and that stays stayed steady. The ones which have dropped off are the ones who don't care, for example, and there are very few, I would say, handful of that. Um, most of them have stayed because they understand that this is a phenomena. Some of these people have been using AI for, for you know, Four years, five years in their own company, you know, have created uh, tools for themselves using AI and large language models. So for them, it doesn't really matter that these tools have come out today. Uh, they know at some point there will be a change in the algorithms. But while stay steady is the perception of the content it has to be the best. Mm -hmm. They can't produce yeah. mediocre content because that will that will that will help that will not help them in the long run. So they're very yeah. open to continuing to work with humans. Yes, they understand that there's an element of AI in the research process, in making life a little easier, as you mentioned earlier, uh, because mm -hmm. it can create content very quickly. 
that can be used for research, for example. But the majority of the creation of content and the storyboarding, for example, the direction you want to take, that's still done by human beings. And that's why yeah. the slogan of a company is content by humans for humans, because that is going to stay steady. Content is not a new game in town. It's been around for mm. for, for centuries. You know, famously, mm. Napoleon used to write content for his war campaigns. He used to write press releases for his war campaigns. They sent to gazettes. And you know, now the form is different. Maybe it's TikTok, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's LinkedIn posts. But still, it's about that human to human connection. And that's never going to change. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, to keep up with you know, uh, market demands and trends, et cetera, um, or even kind of become a, a leader in the industry, um, it goes without saying that Goodman Lantern would integrate AI into its processes. Um, how are you kind of staying true to that human by humans, especially seeing as like, you know, you've got freelancers writing content for the company because you can't control what these people are doing, you know. So um, how how are you bringing it into, um, I know that you, you popped out recently a, a bit of a policy in terms of how writers um, can uh, implement AI in their own processes. Um, how are you uh, keeping up with that market trend and, you know, letting AI inform your, your company to, to stay relevant while keeping that human touch? Yeah, so AI is a great tool. It's going to help and impact every industry in the market today, whether it's content or not not content, for example. Um, but I think the most impact is going to be is for analysis, for research, for intelligence. And there's a lot of work which goes into analyzing the background of a company, their story, their values, the competitors. And for that sort of stuff, AI is great. Um, we, for example, working with teams, um, make sure that we have a policy of checking every piece of content. We use uh, internally tools to check that the content is produced by human beings, mm. because in the long run, that make a big impact. Um, mm. It will make a big impact both for thought leadership as well as for visibility visibility through search engines. Uh, that's our belief, and we believe that's going to happen very soon. Uh, for the time being, though. There are a lot of cowboys using a lot of AI, and that's and that's fair. It's, you know, we only learn through experimenting, right? So let's 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 use use that. Um, but for in the company, we are building tools to help with research to kind of create quick uh, initial steps to reduce the time for the initial research elements in the company. So with that, what I mean by that is to collect data, to analyze data to get the material which we have internally on customers, right by customers and competitors, and to put them all together, match them all up together, and then analyze the AI. And then mm. picking out trends and opportunities from there and using those trends and opportunities then to create uh, human-created human content. That's yeah. the way we, we believe we're going to go forward uh, in the AI journey. How does that impact our business? Well, first thing is that it actually reduces time for the research it it makes our team more efficient by focusing on the most important parts, which is to create great content and having that data available to them readily. Um, also to analyze, you know, sometimes we have long calls uh, internally as teams, as well as with customers, to summarize them all together. That helps mm -hmm. us to, to kind of take out elements which are not adding value to the end client's content and really focusing on the bits which are going to add more value. So making our teams more efficient. Um, one thing which we are doing now is to training our teams. So we are launching these new training, training programs. Uh, as of this month, we're launching new training programs to kind of educate teams on how to use tools like ChatGPT better. We're using available uh, and proprietary APIs uh, or programming tools to build our own tools as well. So there's mm -hmm. a, 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 an, a plethora of different opportunities which we are currently embarking on as a company to make mm -hmm. us more competitive and to help reduce times where, where things doesn't add value and to really focus on the high value elements. Yeah, awesome. Um, we have been going, so I'm going to, uh, 
run into the the quick fire round to end off because um you know like i say i know that you're super busy so i don't want to keep you uh over time um so uh i i changed the questions slightly don't panic um the the first question is not really a question it's more of a a, a challenge i suppose uh tell me something i don't know about content marketing <laughs> wow <laughs> oh, that's a really big, big challenge. Um, hmm, let me think. Um, okay, well, I'm going to say something about ChatGPT because I think that's something that's really relevant right now. I think yeah. what I discovered recently was that, that the best way to use ChatGPT for content especially is to not create the content in a paragraph format, but to ask, ask to make a, a tabular format of content delivery. You can actually say, for example, summarize this information as a table and then describe the columns you would like to have. That for me is a better way to use ChatGPT to get answers and to just ask you to do a free form, freestyle content creation for us. I've seen that whenever I ask me tables for me, it's been far better, far more efficient and more accurate every time. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a great tip. Um, if I can give you a tip, um, if you're using ChatGPT to write uh, social media posts, don't ask it to write a social media post. Um, ask it to write a blurb about a specific topic um, because then it will not default to those weird templates that it seems. Uh, you, you get more kind of um, organic sounding uh, that you can uh, take and then you can obviously work on um, on, on the back end. So there, we've, we've exchanged chat GPT tips. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Um, question two, is there a specific routine or thing that you do that believe uh, that you believe contributes to your success as a business? Um, one thing I do is to, I have posted notes in front of me for my goals for the next 10 years, see them every morning. Every morning I look at them and say, it's my aim for, for me and my, my family and my company. And that aligns me a bit better. So I, my, uh, so that's one thing. Number two I do is I, I believe in a routine weekly check-in with the family. So I have one with my wife, uh, with key team members uh, weekly to just align ourselves. And I almost have a format of how I do these things. So I have a, like a format I follow. And it's a bit weird to do that with, you know, with your wife, for example, there's not a team member, but I think I, I believe that a routine, a process followed in life leads and goes a much longer way. So I, I have, you know, over the years, form a few formats, I run a, run a meeting, how I, you know, invite myself to, to, a, to an event, a calendar invitation, for example, how I run meetings, for instance. And I believe that those are great ways to really align um, my team, my family, and myself. That's amazing. Um, I think that it's important to have some sort of structure when you're doing that, because uh, if uh, I've been to many a meeting, if anyone who's worked in the corporate world knows, you go to a meeting and nothing constructive comes out of the meeting because there was no proper agenda, there were no proper talking points. And so, yeah, um, I, I'm very much a believer in structure in that way as well. So that's awesome. The post-it note thing, um, quite a few people do that. Um, it's, it's been quite interesting. Um, what do you do when you're not working on your business? Uh, well, I started playing a lot of paddle tennis. Um, so like that's like my new thing is parallel tennis is the fastest growing sport in the world apparently uh, it's basically tennis meets squash and uh, i've been training to like become better at it in the past i used to cycle a lot uh in in london i never, never took uh, a train underground um taxi almost two years because i like i just cycle cycle everywhere it's a portable cycle cycle everywhere so that's been my, my passion also like to watch movies uh, in the cinema sometimes. Um, I, I can't sit in front of a television and watch it because I don't have the patience. I, I'm a bit of a headless chicken. It's like move around quite a bit. So the yeah. cinema is like, I, I paid for it. I have to go there and I have to sit down. So I kind of sit down, watch the movie, and then I 
you know, exit basically. Oh, wow. That's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, apart from that, I would say like traveling. Uh, I really enjoy traveling. So, you know, if I get a chance, I, I kind of go away with the wife and the kid. So that's, that's kind of nice. Awesome. Uh, just on the movie thing, um, I find I can't watch movies on TV, but I can binge watch like um, it, it's there's that meme that went around a while ago that said, um, would you like to watch this three hour movie? And it's like, no, I don't have the time or the patience. And it's then it's uh, uh, what what about if we broke this three hour movie into three episodes of an hour each? You're like, son of a bitch, I'm in. You know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, movies, I don't know how anyone sits through a movie, but uh, somehow binge watching, you know, 40 hours of one hour shows, that's not a problem. <laughs> Completely agree with you. <laughs> um, if all the books in the world suddenly spontaneously combusted except for one, uh, what would it be and why? Yeah, this is a difficult question because um i think there's so many good books out there um which i would say have impacted uh you know impacted my life but I'd, i would say the one book which has been my favorite has been how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie that book for me has been the one book which has changed my life completely um i think um i think oh, many years back i look back at myself and i i think what i could have achieved as a person i couldn't have imagined that i could reach here and i think you know a big part of it is that i was taught over the years to be focused on learning have a learner's mindset so i'm just constantly like i spend four hours every day learning about different things through podcasts through reading uh, through like going to talks, listening to a lot of talks. So I'm constantly like, like, like a sponge, just picking up stuff all the time. Whether it's about business, about AI, about content, about technology, whatever it, it might be. I'm just keen to learn these skills because I think it's so important. So, but this book has taught me how to like influence people. And I, I think I do, I don't influence people for, for my purpose, but it's for a, a combined, a combined purpose which is good for humanity or for a, a great purpose, a, a great upside for everybody. I think that's what kind of makes me feel because I think like companies, for example, you know, the main mission of a company is to make profit for the shareholders. Yeah. But when the company is focusing on a greater good, like for example, a big part of Goodman Lantern is to empower women um, in technology and marketing. That most what without once you want to go back to work every day, wake up in the morning and work harder for the company. Now mm. I think all that comes from learning from books. So I hope that all books don't disappear. We still have books to read because <laughs> that'd, be a, that'd be a very dull day and a very yeah, annoying time to survive as you yeah. life as it brings. Um, Dale Carnegie. I mean, that is. Uh, I mean, that book's been around since, like. I suppose the dawn of time, but um, it just goes to show that uh, that is essentially a piece of content marketing um, and uh, it stood the test of time. It's still as relevant today as it was when it was first written. And that I think is the secret behind good content. Um, you know, the relevancy and uh, making sure that it's, it's around for a long time. Um, it's still providing value. I do apologize. A lot of books which have like, you know, made it through time. Like there's another book by, you know, a book by called The Richest Man in, in Babylon. Have you ever heard of this book before? I've heard of it, it yes. About, it's, it talk, it's a business book, basically talks about simple concepts about this one person in Babylon, which used to be, is now in modern day Iraq. And it talks mm -hmm. about how to make a lot of cash, um, but it's in, in an ethical way. And that book has been like, it talks about the civilization, which is long gone. But still, we talk about it because the concepts of, of building a business, uh, building um, a life for us, our family, our company is still the same. And that's what we're talking about content, as you were talking about earlier. Content has also been around for, for centuries, it's a different form now. And so is like best practices to like run a company, work with, interact with team members, 
with family, with friends. I think these are concepts that are going to stand the test of time. It's just mm. that there are different forms now. Maybe, maybe back in the day, they, you know, it was all verbal. Now it's through, I don't know, WhatsApp or, 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 or a different form, maybe Insta chat, for example, but they still apply. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, final question. Um, and I suppose uh, because you've got three businesses, um, or, or you you started three businesses. Maybe uh, you can give us uh, the one piece of advice you wish you'd received when you'd started your business. And maybe, uh, like I say, because you've got three businesses that you've started, um, there's one kind of overarching um, piece of advice that you wish you'd received, or, or, or lesson that's come out of um, of the process that you followed. Yeah, I think that there are two bits. One is being open to to, to, to learn. I think I, thought, I, talked, I touched on this later, uh, earlier, but I think one of the things which I did not do as much earlier on was to be open to be able to consume and learn. At some point, I was very close to learning new information. I think that, was, that didn't help me in my big, long journey. Um, and I think most people should like, at least I should have learned that Earlier on, I wish I, I was open to always learning that, that mindset. Number two is short term. You know, constantly like thinking about um, not what's going to happen today or tomorrow, but thinking about what's going to happen 10 years from now. That's what makes great individuals, great businesses, great opportunities for everybody involved. And again, didn't think of that. It was more, very much about how can I benefit from this opportunity? Well, I'm going to get today out of this. And I think mm -hmm. that kind of blinded me a little bit. I wish yeah. I was a bit more long-sighted. I think that it's difficult, though, because especially when you're starting out, um, you are worried about uh, cash flow and where your next job is coming from, etc. So you may have the long-term goal, but you, you still need to focus on the short-term. But it's just finding that balance. I, I think so. I think so. Uh, but again, like disruption takes so much effort right and if you are thinking short and small it's not like it's not worth the effort mm. that the effort required to to make a disruption massive or to make small they're very similar in nature but if you start thinking big you can have mm. bigger teams more delegation more elevation more automation more deletion and i think that's where magic happens the moment we are thinking about i will do this I will do this. This is my company. This was for me. You know, become very small and make case. And I think for big things to happen, to send, you know, to go to Mars or to build the next Tesla or to like build the next AI, it requires big thinking and it requires something which is long term, uh, not today, not for me, not just you know how to make more money for myself. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Fantastic. Raj, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I've, I've enjoyed chatting to you and getting to know you a little bit better as well. Um, and uh, I'm sure that anyone listening to this podcast will will um, will take a lot of value from it as well. Um, where can people find you? Um, obviously, you're on LinkedIn. Um, uh, you've got the website. Uh, do you want to give us all those links? Yeah, of course. So, so yeah, so like LinkedIn is definitely one of the uh, the biggest one. Uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And there's also Twitter as well. So Twitter, I'm Raj Anand. On LinkedIn, also I'm Raj Anand. So we just look at Raj Goodman Anand on LinkedIn. Or if you just do a quick Google search, hopefully you'll find me. I hope you're number one link. If I'm not, uh, it's so definitely a problem. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll have to work on your content um, and your SEO. <laughs> That's it. I, I hope it's all sorted out. So yeah, if you if you do just Google Raj Gooden and Anand, you'll find the LinkedIn, the Twitter, and the website as well as first three links. Awesome. Um, and then Goodman Lantern, um, you're obviously uh, always open to um, approaches by people who want to use the company to create their their content. Uh, that's uh, GoodmanLantern.com, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So GoodmanLantern.com again. Again, big on LinkedIn and website goodmanlantern.com. Uh, but again, if you, if you look for Raj Goodman Anand or look for Goodman Lantern on, on, on Google, it'll be the first link. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
Thanks so much, Raj. I've really enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, we should uh, probably do it again at some, some stage in the future to, to have a check-in um, to see how things are going. Absolutely, Megan. Thank you very much for the opportunity once again. And uh, yeah, really good to have a chat and let's do it again for sure. Definitely. Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-M-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.